Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the World of Sharks podcast, a show all about sharks, rays, and their underwater habitat, brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. I'm your host, Isla, and every episode, I sit down with experts in shark science and conservation to take a deep dive into a different part of the wonderful world of sharks. Now, the subject of today's episode is a little different to usual because we're not actually talking about the sharks themselves. We are talking about how to work with them, namely how to get funding to study them. I know that a lot of you listening at home are researchers or you want to get into the field of shark science and conservation. And we often talk about the fun side of that, which is being out at sea and getting the data and working with these incredible animals and people in the field. But what we don't talk about all that often is how to get the money to do all of that. Because unfortunately, money does make the world go round. So you might have a great idea, but you do need money to hire the boats, to get equipment and to basically just support yourself. So a huge part of conducting research is actually applying for grants, fellowships, studentships and any other way to fund your project. This is the unglamorous side of science and conservation. It's a huge amount of work and time. You're often competing against many, many other qualified people and there's actually very little information out there as to what makes a quote unquote successful application. And as someone who has been through the ringer a fair few times <laughs> and knowing lots of other people who have also applied and been rejected over and over and over again, it can be a completely bewildering, exhausting and just downright unpleasant experience. There's no point in sugarcoating it. But dear listener, if this is you and you are feeling a bit downhearted or just a little bit unsure as to where to even start, you are not alone. And this is exactly why I wanted to do this episode. I was at Sharks International in October last year, which is the largest international conference dedicated to shark science and conservation. We kind of published an episode a wee while ago now uh, from Sharks International with Dave Ebert. This is the same event. And I took the opportunity to sit down with some extremely knowledgeable people and ask them all about the process of getting your project funded. These knowledgeable people are our very own CEO, Dr. James Lee, and advisor to the Save Our Seas Foundation, Sarah Fowler, who you will have heard on the podcast before. Save Our Seas are dedicated to supporting innovative and passionate scientists, conservationists and educators, and since 2003 have funded over 480 projects in more than 90 countries. James and Sarah are part of the larger panel who look through all the many, 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 many grant applications that the Save Our Seas receives every single year. And as scientists themselves, they are also able to offer their perspectives as both funders and applicants. And another very knowledgeable person who was also able to join us is Lee Crockett, CEO of the Shark Conservation Fund. The SCF invest in and champion strategic projects that are focused on the global defence of sharks and rays, including projects focused on the international trade in shark products and combating unsustainable fishing. 
Lee's role involves designing and implementing grant-making strategies, forming strategic partnerships with NGOs and other funders, fundraising and representing SCF to governments, NGOs and just the general public. He has over 20 years of experience in both the government and nonprofit sector and like James and Sarah has extensive experience in both giving and obtaining funding. In this episode, I asked James, Sarah and Lee what they look for in a successful application, what makes a project stand out to them and general tricks of the trade for anyone looking to start on this journey. And I asked them to talk about failure. Failure is such a huge part of the funding process. Every single person has had a knockback, been unsuccessful in securing a grant or felt like they've made a mistake somewhere along the line. And maybe it's actually a mistake on my part to call these failures because while it's never nice to be rejected, it's also a learning process. It makes your application better for the next time and it's also completely normal. I once had a mentor who was at the very, very top of their field tell me that they'd had 15 no's before they finally got a yes, which made me feel a hundred million times better after my first attempt at applying got absolutely ripped to shreds in the interview. So, so yes, failures, knockbacks, rejections, whatever you want to call them, they're completely normal and you're definitely not alone if you have experienced that. Anyway, I hope this episode makes the process a little easier, a little less daunting and offers some comfort to those of you who are on this journey already or thinking about starting. It's a long road, but you'll get there. Okay, get your thinking caps on and your projects ready. Let's dive in to our episode. James and Sarah, welcome back to the Whole Tooth Podcast. And Lee, welcome to the Whole Tooth Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. So lovely yeah, to you. In person. In person. Yeah. Real people. Yeah. We're surrounded by real people. Yeah. I know. I know. I'm sitting just across a table from you. And we've actually got, you know, Sharks International sessions going on next door. There's lots of activity going on. Um, but I thought I would start off the podcast by just going to each of you and asking if you can tell us a little bit about what it is that you do and kind of what your uh, what your current role is in relation to funding. And mm. um, so, James, I will start with you. Sure. Yeah. So I'm I'm James. I, I manage the Save Our Seas Foundation, which is it's a it's a, a funding body specifically for marine conservation projects. Uh, uh, you know, with a strong focus on sharks and rays. Uh, and we have a number of different. <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry. A number of different types of grants uh, that people can apply to, uh, especially sort of early career researchers. Um, and one of my main roles within the foundation is is uh, being part of a team which Sarah also sits on that, that helps uh, select these projects and eventually the very difficult um, role of uh, collectively choosing the final few that, that, that are successful to get the funding. Mm-hmm. And of course, you guys are kind of right in the middle of that process <laughs> now <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, trying to do it at the same time as being at events like these which i can imagine is is quite tiring a little bit 
Just a bit. <laughs> Some of us are more in the middle of it than others because I, I have still got a lot of grant applications to review. I'm behind. I know I'm behind. Please I, I don't. I finished yesterday. Well, <laughs> mostly finished yesterday. I started early and felt so smug for such a long time and now I'm down at the back of the pack again. <laughs> and Sarah, how about you? Can you tell us a little bit about what you do and what the relation to funding is? So, in the course of my career, I've had several roles. I've managed a research program, uh, which meant that we decided what we wanted to fund uh -huh. and very often just offered the funds to the individuals or the organisations concerned. Sometimes there's a bit of competitive tendering. I've applied for grants myself. I still do. I have worked in biodiversity consultancy where we tendered for projects and it was a competitive tendering process, which is actually pretty similar to a grant application process, but it's much, much tighter because you know exactly what you're expected to do, mm -hmm. but not how much money there is in the pot to do it. Mm -hmm. And of course, I also review grant applications, both for Save Our Seas and also for the Shark Conservation Fund. Mm. Fantastic. And then Lee, can, the same question to you. Can you tell us a little bit about Shark Conservation Fund sure. and what you do? So uh, I'm Lee Crockett. I'm the Executive Director of the Shark Conservation Fund. So. The Shark Conservation Fund is a collaboration of uh, funders, um, and so people band together, give us money into a pooled fund. The Save Our Seas Foundation just recently joined uh, our, our organization, and um, James is a representative on our, on our board of advisors. So what we do is they pool the money. We have a general investment strategy that's supposed to guide how we make grants. Um, and so those are, uh, I go out and solicit projects to implement the uh, strategy. And then I have to work with grantees to make sure that the proposals meet our guidelines. And I have, a, after being there over five years, I have a good idea what the board wants and what's, what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and what, one of the primary things is they're all about policy. They're all about legal changes. Um, they're, some of them are very skeptical about research. And, okay. Uh, so, you know, we're sort of splitting the baby as far as research projects go, that we look for research projects that are gonna help with management. They're gonna provide a key piece of information or a tool or something like that mm -hmm. that could be uh, used to advance management around the world. And so we have those bigger grants that we solicit, and then we have a small grant program, which we accept, um, applications for and those are um, one year in duration twenty five thousand mm -hmm. dollars they um, you know we're particularly looking for projects in developing countries small NGOs in developing countries um, and those we get applications I review them we ask for proposals I review those and then I uh, <clears throat> pick 20 to send to the expert advisors so Sarah's one of our expert advisors and they they review these and score them and, and that's how we we pick the final. We could have ten, uh, up to ten, because we we have uh, enough money set aside for that. So that's what we do. And on, as far as grant uh, applications and proposals and stuff like that, I, I have to do. I'm in I'm in the middle. So mm -hmm. our members, I have to write proposals to them, pretty much pretty much every year to get continued funding, and I have yeah. to write reports. And then we also, you know, I have to find projects and work on proposals for them that then go to our board for approval and reports. So 
I'm acutely aware of the, the burdens that we place on our applicants. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I think it must be such a difficult job to have to sift through all of those applications mm. and pick, you know, a handful that's going to kind of go forwards because you know how much, you all know how much work goes into an application process and how scary and bewildering it is. Mm. Um, but obviously, unfortunately, we don't have all the funding in the world. We can't, you know, fund absolutely everyone either. Um, but one thing that I really wanted to talk about that I thought was quite important um, is talking about failure because that is an extremely common thing. It's more common than people think. Um, I think my uh, when I was first applying for a, a grant, my mentor basically said to me that he typically gets one in 15 applications that he puts in mm. um, and it can be a little bit daunting and I think it you're all incredibly experienced um, and you know still experience failure as well as we were talking about on the way to the podcast room so I wanted to ask each of you if it's okay if you can talk about you know a time that you were unsuccessful it doesn't necessarily have to be an unsuccessful grant application but at some point that you would consider a failure and kind of what you what you learned from that and so Sarah I might come to you first on this one that's fine I have a long history of failure uh-huh. going back decades and most applications fail mm-hmm. most of them uh, you just mentioned Isla 1 in 15 uh, I have been in a situation when we used to get 1 in 6 and we thought we were pretty damn good to get 1 in 6 uh-huh. you know yeah. that was that was great but the failure rate is huge and the success rate is very small mm-hmm. and the other thing is when I started out applying for some of these grants I wrote awful, awful proposals. <laughs> I mean, they just did not deserve a penny. They they barely deserved five minutes of someone's time. And I now look at those and I think, oh, those were so bad. But we kept going, we practiced, we got advice from people who knew how to do it well. Mm-hmm. And the success rate picks up. Mm-hmm. Just have to keep going. Mm-hmm. You do, you do definitely. James. Yeah. Well, something I think briefly off the back of that is that so many of the applications that that we get that um, end up not getting funded are pure, they are worthy of being funded. It's just there's this limited envelope. And so you just have to keep trying and trying and it just, um, you know, don't don't, uh, be too demoralized by the knockback. And yeah, like Sarah says, seek help, seek advice. Um, That's something we want to try and do more of. Uh, For me, other than failing my driving test three times, <laughs> eventually passing on the fourth, so maybe think twice before getting in the car with me. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. There's never been any incidents. Wait, sorry. How Wait. many times did you fail your driving test? Three. I failed five times. Oh wow! Okay. So you're you're so all we're, good. We're in good company. <laughs> yeah. Well, this um, is good to know. I'm never getting the car with you. <laughs> yeah, always taxi. <laughs> um, uh, but actually, I think one of the things that I found sort of hardest. Uh, I, I guess in a sort of professional scenario is I, I came a hair's breadth to sort of giving up my PhD because it was just not working. Mm-hmm. I was sort of two years in and 
I, 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 so I started out trying to do my PhD on silky sharks in the Red Sea, their, their movement, ecology, their behavior and stuff. And based on previous work we'd done there, it seemed like, um, you know, it would be a home run. There are, there are sharks all over the place on your doorstep, but sort of over time they declined so much that in the first two years of my PhD, I hadn't even managed to get enough data for a single chapter. And actually none of that even ended up being in my PhD. And, you know, that's such a massive commitment in the first place. And it's it's a, a massive thing to try and decide whether you're gonna stop it or not. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, uh, I was safe in that situation through collaboration. You know, it's which, you know, it's actually been a strong theme of this conference as well. You know, it's something that everyone needs to do more of, especially with the time pressures facing sharks and rays. But yeah, I was saved by essentially, you know, another group saying, okay, well, we've got this data we can't do everything with. You need some data. Let's get together and get something out of it. And yeah, I very thankfully ended up managing to continue. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, even though we're talking about, you know, grants and funding and how to get it, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people who are listening now will be able to relate to the fact that parts of their PhD have, quote unquote, failed mm -hmm. or for whatever reason, especially because we're going through, you know, a pandemic that affected a lot of people's theses and mm -hmm. has changed what they're doing. Um, and it is, as you said, it is all about talking to other people collaborating with other people and make sure that you're not kind of struggling through that by yourself because it is a really tricky thing mm. to navigate mm. but I mean my thesis changed from when I first started out my thesis was a completely different thing by the time it ended mm. for multiple reasons but also because of failure as yeah. well so I think that's a really good a really good point to make and Lee how about you so I feel quite a bit in the um, part of uh, my job is to increase our funder base, get more members, more money in. So I spend a lot of time trying to get new funders and, you know, reach out to funders, write proposals, write concepts and things like that. And I mean, the, the thing that um, I learned from that is one, to be very cognizant of the interests of that funder. What types of things do they fund? What's their interest? Mm -hmm. And then be able to, hopefully you're, you're pretty well positioned in, to fit into those, but then to be able to communicate it. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that I fall into, and I think a lot of people fall into, is speaking your own language, your own jargon, not being able to clearly articulate what you want to do so that these a lot of times these philanthropists are, are not experts in the field so if you can't explain the problem uh, clearly to them if you can't you know explain what you're going to do how you're going to solve that problem uh, what new you bring to the field that sort of stuff you they're just not going to fund you um, and then on the flip side of that grants especially the small grants that we we get the applications there the ones that don't work are the ones that um, they just don't have a clear uh, statement of what they're trying to accomplish. What's their goal? What are their deliverables? You know, clearly articulate those things. And then a lot of times, I don't know, people think it's, it's give them a better chance if they have, you know, four, five, six, seven deverables. And these are $25,000 one-year grants. And, you know, I look at that, it's like, well, you, you, good luck with that. You're not going to get all of that done. So, you know, if you can, if you put something forward that has a clear objective, 
clear deliverables that you're pretty sure you can achieve, mm-hmm. um, you got a lot better chance of funding. And then as far as us, what we look for, again, I, I said this earlier, my, my board is very interested in policy and, and uh, <clears throat> legal changes and things like that. So we're looking for research projects that are going to tie into some management change. Mm, okay. And so that's not doing that, not being able to articulate how your project is going to fit into some management change and that you're actually partnering with somebody who's going to do that work, yeah. you're, you're probably not going to get funded. Writing these proposals, is, it's kind of like an art form because it's so different to how you would structure a scientific paper or how you would structure a thesis. And Sarah and James, I know you're in the middle of reviewing grants right now. So kind of Lee led us very nicely into this question, which is kind of what is it you're looking for when you're looking for a kind of successful grantee or funding proposal? There's a whole suite of things. Uh, But I mean, there there are several that are sort of key in the, uh, one of them relates to what what Lee was saying, as you should have clear defined goals that are achievable within the timeframe they're trying trying to do it and sort of have realistic goals. Um, but also, also, as I mentioned at the start, we've got a particular focus on sharks and rays. That's a bit of a prerequisite that you're applying with some form of, you know, a Latin brand, uh, project. But then within that, we very much favour projects that have some form of a conservation outcome, um, and and we weigh that against the, the need of the species. So then, you know, how endangered is that species? How is it endemic to this particular place? What are the threats in that area? Um, so you might have two projects that are you know, perfectly level from an academic research perspective, but if one's on a species with much greater conservation need, then that is the one that's going to get favoured. Budget is a big thing. <laughs> Again, be realistic, be reasonable. Um, and a lot of, actually, I go, I feel like my teachers now, back in the days of exams, but like also just read the question, make sure that the information you're putting there is actually answering the question that we've asked and don't feel the need to put loads there. If you've been able to answer it in a few sentences, that's actually okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but also don't skimp on detail if it's necessary. Yeah, because it's it's so easy to fall into that trap of thinking you want to make it look as impressive and you want mm. to sound as if you really, really know your subject mm. area, but there's such a thing as putting too much detail in there and so it masks what mm. your kind of core objective is. Yeah. Now, Sarah, how about you? What kind of, when you're looking, you look through so many grants, so what what would make an application stand out for you? I'm always asking the, and so what question mm. when uh-huh. I finish this grant, and a grant that says, and this is going to contribute to shark management. Or it's and critical to shark management. It might be critical. I, I, I actually have a sort of, Grant application bingo. (laughs) Imperative, outstanding, essential, charismatic. All of these things, I I tick them off. It keeps me awake when I'm onto the 89th (laughs) grant application. (laughs) And that doesn't mean that you can't use those words. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I, that's just, that's just me being silly really no I've, but, got, I've got red cheeks because i'm thinking of all the times i've used those exact words <laughs> the bingo. i mean there, there were some fantastic grants that we yeah. um, applications that we have funded which were 
imperative mm-hmm. and charismatic. Mm-hmm. It just, it's just, um, you don't have to do that. I think my message is you don't have to do that because mm-hmm. you're sending a grant application to people who actually do know this stuff. Yeah. So I'm always looking for what the impact is going to be on conservation and management. And it's not enough to just to tell us that it's going to have an impact. I want to know exactly what it is. You know, what are we actually going to see changing in the future? Now, it could be um, doing developing a new research technique, which is going to have amazing impacts across the world um, if we can get it to work. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be something that's directed absolutely directly to answering a conservation question. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm always looking for that, the so what. And to pick up on something James said earlier, read the guidelines, then read them again, then write your application, mm-hmm. and then read the guidelines. Mm-hmm. Because so often people don't do that. Mm-hmm. And it is a shame because that is just fundamentally important. It's so important mm-hmm. because we, we have hundreds of grant applications between us. Mm-hmm. And it's actually like James taking his driving test. It's quite easy to fail someone who's driving <laughs> on the wrong side of the road or just goes through. That's not quite how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. So, um, so you know, read those, read those um, guidance, read those guidelines yeah. and follow them because, um, you know, it's quite easy to reject a grant which doesn't do present itself properly. Mm-hmm. Um, what is really, really tough and we've got a very tough week ahead of ourselves when we've got a fantastic group of grant applications. And mm. they are wonderful. This year is just wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I want to fund them all, apart from maybe three. <laughs> and and um, we can't. You know, we can't. So for the people who are listening who've just been rejected again, it doesn't mean your project's no good. Mm. It just means that most grant applications get rejected. And we've all had this. Oh, yeah. And it's so... Because it's so competitive now as well. And it's just, you've literally just been pipped to the post. Like some, for some people, it's kind of a, a case of we've maybe already got a project that's very similar to this one. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, something, something very, very, very small. So it's not, you know, it's not you. It's not personally you. It's just the, mm-hmm. the environment and the nature. Mm-hmm. And it, it does, it does happen. It will mm-hmm. happen for you. Yeah. Um, and every you know failed application. I hate to say failed. I don't mean that in the sense of like you ha- you're a yeah, failure. Yeah. I just mean every unsuccessful application is something that you can learn from and take forwards into mm. the next one. Mm. Um, oh yes. I just wanted to say one other thing. Yeah. Well, because I'll it. forget it. Forget all about it in thirty <laughs> seconds. Um, the other thing that's really important when we're talking about how many grant applications we get every year mm-hmm. and we want to fund more and we can't. There's only a certain limit. If you want your grant application to be one of those that are funded, not one that is reluctantly rejected, make sure that it ends. Make sure that your project has an ending. Because as Lee said, it's a one-year project. It's got to come to an end. You've got to know where you're going and when you've got there. Because open-ended grant applications Uh, I know the work is really important. I know that most of the work I do is totally open-ended. You know, Mm. I've 
I've been doing it for decades. It's open-ended. There's no okay. end point. But there are various stages along the way. And if you're sending in a grant application, it has to be, there has to be a beginning and an end. Okay. But is it also, is it also important as well, so to show longevity as well? So is there, so yes, your project's got an end point, yeah. but... Well, you want to look at impact. Yes. yes. Yeah. So if it ends in, in a year, but it has a longer term impact, certainly that's the kind of stuff that we look for too. You know, one of the things that um, I think people pro who applicants don't think about is as reviewers, I'm looking for a way to, a reason to say no. I can only make 10 grants. I got 90 applications. I have to say no 80 yeah. times. Yeah. And so you make it very easy for me if you don't follow our guidelines, if you, you're not you know, into providing us the information we want. Um, so that's, you know, that's just keep in mind that's that, you know, you, you want to make it just like Sarah said, you want to make it hard on us that, geez, I got 20 projects. I got, I got money for 10. So how am I going to choose between mm -hmm. these? But in our case, it's not really that hard because we don't, we just people don't follow the, 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 uh, you know, our requirements and what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And then I, I want to really reiterate the, um, the idea that you got to write from us we're we have an online application which has character limits and the reason for that is some people think that the more you write the better chance you have and trust me i'm looking at 90 proposals if i got to read you know several pages of yeah. you know here's what the problem is again you know we're the shark conservation fund you don't have to tell us all the problems with sharks we're pretty familiar with them um yeah so that short concise i just put in an application to uh, somebody, uh, another foundation here in Europe, actually. Um, and they, it's a four page application. That's it. No more. And it's, and you got to put a theory of change in there and their guidance says, if you can't do this in two sentences, you don't understand what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's, it's so, you know, it's, yeah. that, that's, but that I think I just, I, I wrote it back and I said, I love this. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> Because if you know if you don't really understand what you're doing, you can't explain it concisely. If it takes you 15 minutes to explain your pro, you know why this project is important, then you don't have a good idea what you're up to. Mm -hmm. Four page. My um, NERC fellowship was also four pages, and it's the it's the hardest thing because you've got to pretty much get everything across in the first paragraph and then you can go into a little bit more detail but right. yeah. it's the trickiest thing because you want to get everything possible across but do it very concisely there's like there's a complete art to it yeah. i yeah. think yeah. Yeah. yeah it's hard You have all um, got a lot of experience, not only reviewing grants, but writing grants yourselves, as you said at the beginning. So for someone who is listening, who is kind of, they have an idea and they're thinking of beginning that process, what advice would you give to them in, that, in those very beginning phases? So what can they do to help them create the best application that they can, that they can make? Well, talk to people. Talk. I mean, in the area, you talk to as many people as you can. There might be collaborators or potential collaborators, or or even the funder. If you, I mean, if people come to us with questions, we'd much rather clarify them and, and help them 
uh, uh, you know, as opposed to sort of them sort of not understanding something in the process. I think, you know, take your time to fully research what you're trying to do, um, but don't be afraid to ask people for help at any point along the way. It's not something that you sort of have to gallantly do, you know, on your own. Mm -hmm. Be aware that you might actually find that your original idea wasn't the best. Don't be afraid to mm. think about changing it a bit. Mm -hmm. Take advice. And if someone says, well, actually, I think you'll find that that's been done, or, or honestly, I don't see how that's ever going to work, but have you thought about that project? Mm. So be flexible and mm. then read the guidance. Yes. Several times. <laughs> yeah. Well, a quick note on the guidance and uh, just quickly on, on, on budget. Something like Lee was also mentioning, there's, it's, there are certain things that are very easy to, to help discount people. And, and uh, one of the big ones is inconsistencies of budget. If you say one oh, thing, yeah. one bit in the thing, and then you actually, in your, in your detailed budget, it's, it's different or they just don't match somehow. And, you know, I understand people do these things in stages sometimes. Just make sure, like Sarah said, you go back, check over it. Because if, if things don't add up, literally, um, it's, it then makes it much harder for it to assess what we're actually funding. Mm -hmm. uh, and another thing that is, is, is uh, I think, often a bit cheeky and doesn't usually fly is when people get through the first round. So we also have a two-round system. We mm -hmm. try and make it so that because of the volume of applicants, you know, they don't have to invest too much time sort of getting the interest of, of, the, of the funding committee and then they invited back for more. But some people, I'm not entirely sure what the thinking is, but sometimes in the second round, the budget is wildly inflated. <laughs> um, I don't know, it's like, oh, well, I got through this far. Maybe, you know, I can ask, ask for more. I mean, sometimes... Let's double it. Yeah. Hey, let's double it. I know. And sometimes there's reasonable change. Like, you know, there's obviously things like fuel crises and things, you know, and if you can explain yeah. it and it's like adjusting for stuff like that, that's fine. But when you're like, oh, actually... I'm just going to ask for this extra 50k for, for something else entirely, and that's a problem. No, okay. It makes our life easy. That makes yeah. our life easy. I would also caution against costing your grant application right up to the limit that is offered. Mm. If it's a 10,000, if it's a grant that says five to 10,000, don't go for 10,000 mm. lump sum or mm. 25,000 lump sum, mm. because that does look as if you might be trying it on a bit. And again, it's we've got a lot of grant applications to reject. We've yeah. got an awful lot mm -hmm. to reject. And some of them we are so sad about rejecting. And, and sometimes applicants just make it a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. so, so do your budget. Create a budget that actually makes sense. Mm -hmm. Don't add on an extra 98 bucks here or whatever just so that you get up to the 10,000. Because... It just doesn't look quite right, in, but maybe that's just me. I yeah. don't know. We all have our different ways of rejecting projects. No. But don't worry, it's not always just. It's never just one person <laughs> who rejects a project or approves a project. Yeah. It's it's a battle royal inside the advisory team. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine things that if one person or a couple of people have someone that they really really like and then the other team have someone they really really like it can maybe get a little bit difficult to mm -hmm. navigate that and probably yeah. quite a long process but i think that's a very good point is to almost think like the person who is going to be reviewing your grant mm -hmm. so if you were being objective and you were reading this would you fund it or you know is there anything that you can think of that's maybe yeah, think like the person who has read through mm. 
hundreds of applications and mm. it's now reading yours like how are you going to make mm. it easy for them but also how are you going to make mm. it stand out mm. and and lee is there anything that you do when you're applying um well when you to, go to adam what james was saying um we look for collaborations we, mm -hmm. we look for the projects mm. you know maybe working with one of our larger grantees or another ngo in the area or maybe they're able to work with the government um, but that gives us greater assurance that the, the product of that mm. grant is going to be used mm. uh, either for advocacy or, you know, goes right into the management plans or, or that sort of thing. Um, we're a little different on the funding stuff. We have a cap of $25,000 and um, mm. I, I don't look askance at people that put in an application for $25,000. Yeah. It's kind of funny for me. me there's, there, I get I, I get a ton of applicants that are 23,500 or 22. And I, I'm just like, why don't you just ask for $25,000? <laughs> well, I was thinking about yeah, collaboration made me also think of, you know, like think local. If you're thinking about starting on a project, you know, first look where you are. And if you end up looking or working on a project that isn't based where you are, then make sure you are collaborating with people that, already you know already there and, and and can help you as opposed to sort of um you know undertaking any form of you know parachute science or whatever um yeah, yeah it's, it's a very much collaboration local projects favored or yeah. if they are traveling that they're building local capacity and collaborating yeah okay. no i, I want to emphasize that too mm. um, you know, some somebody coming in from Europe or North America, and they're parachuting into Africa or someplace like that, and they're doing a project. Yeah. And you know, they tell me in the application, "Oh, we're gonna, you know, participate in this and do that." But sometimes they don't. You know, they're mm -hmm. just they're they're doing it to finish up their master's or PhD thesis, and you know, and there's really no connection mm -hmm. to to the local people, to the management. Yeah. And also, if you're when you are writing down your list of references, Professor this, Doctor that, make sure they know. Because this is yeah. a small community and they're probably chums of ours as well. So if Professor XYZ is listed as your referee and we say, hey, Joe or June, so what about this person? And they say, they said what? You know, this is not, this is, this is a black mark. Yeah. Okay. That's a black mark. So, even if your referee has refer, you know, has has been a referee for you before, always tell them. Mm. Always tell them, and hey, ask their advice. Mm. But you won't. You may be found out if you try to put someone down mm. who does not exist or whom we know and you mm. haven't asked. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. I think a lot of people think that you don't actually check the referees because I know sometimes when you put your CV in for other jobs they don't they don't always I've mm. never had the referee be contacted in an out in a job that's outside of you know academia or a funding application but you do <laughs> so it's always good to warn them before someone's going to phone them mm. and say you're looking for another job mm. um but one I'm gonna let you go very soon but one final question that I did have is because I'm very well aware that when you're in a university setting when you're at an institution there is often maybe not quite a lot but you know for me certainly there were resources available to me I could write my justification of resources with the HR team and things like that so that they could help me but for someone who is maybe 
you know, not affiliated to an academic institution um, or doesn't have those resources available to them. Is there anything outside of this podcast, obviously, but is there anywhere that they can go to sort of learn more about the process and find more, find out more about how these types of applications work and also, you know, get any advice on how to write them? Well, they can email us. I mean, we have an info at sharpsandrays.org email address and ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm happy to answer questions. Um, in some cases we get on a call and talk, but um, I mean, that's, um, I think the thing is not to, you know, sit by yourself and, and mm-hmm. try to figure it out, but to, mm-hmm. as James said earlier, reach out and talk to people. And so mm-hmm. it's it's fine to reach out to, uh, you know, the, the institution you're well at least in our case it's mm-hmm. fine to reach out to us and ask us about what we want and maybe vet some uh, project ideas and, and things like that and then I think the other thing is this gets back to the partnership question is if you're partnering with somebody who's more experienced or a more you know a bigger institution you can you can take advantage of that mm-hmm. um, I think and, and um, that's another way to get around it is you know you have a you may not have that capacity in your organization, but if you partnered up with somebody else uh, mm-hmm. who's bigger, has you know more capability, you usually you should be able to take advantage of that and help you out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Sarah. Uh, one of the things that particularly early career researchers may want to look out for is the issue of overheads. Yes. Remember to check the overhead situation because. You really don't want to cost out a project beautifully and then realise that your university has just charged 20% overheads. Many institutions will waive overheads provided they have been asked to do so and there is a letter from someone saying, we're sorry our policy is not to, to pay overheads, therefore we need you to waive them. So do watch out for that because that could be a big, big chunk of your um, budget and you don't want to be caught blindsided by that that's a very very good point Mm -hmm. because that is definitely something that i had never considered so yes absolutely double check Mm -hmm. that um and james do you have any well it's kind of it's 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 slightly more of the same in terms of asking for help but like lee says you can ask for us but also look at other people that have been successful i I know on, on our site at least we have you know our grantees and i'm sure there's a whole bunch of those individuals who'd be more than happy to to help people, um, especially if you know, you can find who might be in your region or your species or, or your topic. Um, that round of applause is not for they me. They like that. It's from the next door. But I like thinking along those lines, and we haven't done it yet, and we need to figure out how it works. But something we'd like to do to make these kind of things less intimidating is to actually create a group of people that sort of have been successful and, mm-hmm. and they are there to be contactable and, and share their experience and expertise. Because um, it shouldn't. I mean, the actual process itself, um, you know, should be accessible. And yeah, you know, it's we're, we're, we're although we're there, we're using it to sort of to, to make important decisions. We we don't want it to be intimidating. Mm. Um, yeah. And I, I think we've said this on the podcast before, but I know it's really scary. But don't be afraid to just email people because yeah. most people are all too happy to help you. Yeah. And if they don't get back to you, it's not because they don't want 
you to email them, it's more likely because they're just busy. And yes. so sometimes try again. Try again. Yes. Um, we've definitely said that on the podcast before. I am aware that we need to run away to the next, uh, well, I think it's the final, the final keynote. keynote of and session. International, and it's very hot in this room, uh, we are in Spain, so I'm going to let you all go, but thank you so much for giving your advice and taking time to do the podcast episode, I'm sure a lot of people will find this very helpful, um, and it's been so lovely to see all three of you in person after being online and emailing <laughs> for about a year. So yeah. thank you all so much for that. Amazing. Thanks so much, Isla. Yes, thanks, Isla. It's yeah. always fun. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> Probably in a couple of episodes. Yes. <laughs> Before the reruns. <laughs> the World of Sharks podcast is brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. It was hosted and edited by me, Isla Hodgson, our beautiful artwork is by Jamie Silver and the wonderful jingle you can hear right now is by David Knight. A huge thank you to James, Lee and Sarah for taking time out of Sharks International to offer their insights on funding. As they mentioned here, please reach out to them or us if you're looking for more advice. We are all more than happy to speak to you. And thank you at home for listening. If you like this episode, it would be awesome if you could just drop us a rating and a review on your podcast app. We love hearing from you. It helps us to improve and it helps to spread the word about how amazing sharks are and who doesn't want that. If you have any topics you want covered or just want to say hi, you can also get in touch by emailing Isla at saveourseas.com and you can find out more about Save Our Seas and the work that we do by heading to www.saveourseas.com or following us. We are at Save Our Seas on Twitter and at Save Our Seas Foundation on Instagram. And you can also keep up to date with any announcements that we have about grants or funding opportunities on those channels as well. Alrighty, have a awesome week and we will see you next time.